1: Hello everybody, this is your Fair Do's Warning. On today's episode, not only are we talking about smutty rudeness, we are also touching on the subjects of racism, infanticide and colonialism. So it's gonna be a tough one. This is your Fair Do's Warning. Get out now while you still can. If you're still with me, let's do it. Imagine leading an army for 30 years. Imagine doing it in the 17th century. Imagine doing it as a woman. Now imagine that you've done all that and there aren't hundreds and hundreds of books written about you and several major films about your life. Well, there is one incredible woman who fits this bill. Her name was Queen Nzinga and today, betwixt the sheets, we're going to find out more.
0: What do you look for, man? Oh, money of course. <laughs> You're supposed to rise when an adult speaks to you. I make perfect copies of whatever my boss needs by just turning the knob and pushing the
1: button. Yes, social courtesy does make a difference.
0: Goodness, what beautiful time. Goodness has nothing to do with it, Derek.
1: Hello and welcome back to Betwixt the Sheets, the history of sex scandal in society with me, Kate Lister. In 16th and 17th century, Ndongo and Matamba, modern day Angola, Queen Nzinga came to power. First as the beloved daughter of a king and then as an indispensable intelligence diplomat. And then as a queen fighting Portuguese colonialists and holding them off for decades. She was an absolute badass. Of course we want to find out more. And today, I'm so lucky to be joined by Astrid Madimba and Chini Ukata, authors of It's a Continent, where they highlight an incredible story from each of the countries in Africa. From chair power play to murderous revenge, I can't believe I've never heard this story before. Let's get into it. So hello and welcome to Betwixt the Sheet. I'm ridiculously excited to be talking to Chinny and Astrid about your research. And hello, thank you so much for being here with me.
2: Thank you for having us. Yeah, we're excited. We're
1: excited. There's one thing that I love. I I love history. But it's when you find people in history that you just kind of start to read about them. And then you're like, how is there not a movie? How do people not know about this woman? I think that's just been our whole,
2: like, process with the podcast and everything it's just been like how do you people not know about all of this information so it's so nice being able to
1: share that I just sort of find myself and I was reading about this particular woman that you guys have been researching and shouting to the rooftops about Queen and and she has blown my tiny brain she is incredible
3: <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about who she was so she was the queen in the area that's now known today as Angola. At the time, it was the kingdoms of Matamba and Ndongo. And yes, she was a badass, basically. She should have been made into a Disney movie, 100%. They
1: would never have made this into a Disney movie. They'd, she was far too... She, there was no being kissed by a prince. Yeah, oh, that's true, yeah, that true, that
3: true. <laughs> <laughs> There was no princess being kissed here. No, you're right. And also
1: the, like, sibling rivalry
2: with her brother, I just feel like... <laughs> there sure oh, was, oh, was a lot going on within stuff. that family.
1: Yeah. <laughs> she was a real badass, and this wasn't a woman that you'd want to cross, no. was she?
3: No, no, definitely no, definitely not. Not definitely at
1: all, not at all. So she's ruling over modern day
3: Angola. When was this? When when was she born? So she was born in 1583. So really long time ago in, that, in wow. those times. Oh my God. So how did you first
1: learn about her? Where did you first read about her? So I think with the podcast
2: that we do, It's a Continent, we research, we kind of take a country pick a particular time in its history and really focus on it and so she just like was one of those I think you covered her didn't you that was part of your yes and uh yeah we discovered her and I think for us it's really important to just find these women and their stories because I think sometimes our stories and the role of women within history does get lost and we always try and make a conscious effort to be like Mm. no okay there were badass women just like Really, just the impact that she had as well in terms of protecting the kingdom and stuff was just amazing to see. And uh, yeah, we just felt like it was really important to
1: rave and share her story. When I first read about her, this is the first encounter that I had about her. And I've got a quote here. And I've got a feeling that this might be bullshit, but you can put me right if it's, <laughs> if it's not. And this was the first thing I ever read about it that made me go, hello, just give me a sec. And the quote is that, she maintains 50 to 60 concubines whom she dresses like women, even though they are young men.
3: <laughs> is that, did she have a harem? Oh, wow. <laughs> you know what? I wouldn't put it past her because the thing is, whenever we find within our sort of pre-colonial research on the continent, there are just so many stories and there are so many different and often conflicted and often some are a bit mythical because when you pass the stories down... You kind of want to make it excited, so you're going to add a little bit of spice to it.
1: This was written by a Dutch guy who had never actually been to Africa. Oh, (laughs) okay, well, (laughs) which kind of brings me on a a point is like, how do you guys research this? Because there must be a lot of white guys talking shit about (laughs) this, frankly.
2: Yeah, I think it's all about. We try and find an array of sources, but always upfront about. This is other people's interpretations and being open that actually with history, like Tinny said, different people interpret it differently. And I think as long mm. as you can share that, like, a this woman exists, she did do some, some fantastic things. And there are elements where, you know, people have added, as Tinny said, their own spice to it and their own
3: embellishment
2: <laughs> and stuff that, um, but I think it just highlights just the importance of discovering and going out there and actually really finding out who were there and the kind of people who had an impact, you know? Cause that, this was definitely not covered during medieval history in school for me.
1: So <laughs> <Yeah>. no. No. <laughs> no. Well, this we're sitting wading through the war of the roses and where was this? <laughs> where was this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. I would might have made
3: lessons more exciting. Oh, I would have
1: perked everybody up, <laughs> wouldn't it?
2: My God. And just <laughs> looking at like her encounter with the Portuguese as well. Do you know, do you know what I mean? Like it's very easy you kind of think, okay, maybe she was as a woman very much like, no, I will respect what they see. But her first encounter with them, she was like, no, okay, if I'm not going to get a seat, I'm going to get my own seat. So yeah, I love that. You know, we always talk
1: about a seat at the table, but... Can you tell me a bit about what was going on in Africa and about the
3: relationship with the Portuguese at the time? Because that's quite important to this story. Yeah. So even before the Berlin Conference of 1884 to 85, which kind of put the African countries into the state that they are in in today. The Portuguese were really making inroads into the continent and unfortunately at the time they were starting to trade enslaved people and ship people off to Brazil and other colonies. And Queen Nzinga was really instrumental in blocking these raids so she like stopped some of these from happening through military action through siding with the Dutch because the Dutch wanted a piece of the pie too because everyone was kind of scrambling and one of the encounters was really when she met with the Portuguese initially and she was meant to be a diplomat because she spoke fluent Portuguese so she was often used to have the conversations with them and then they didn't give her a chair because they were like well you're African so why why do you need a seat you know <laughs> it's just it's, yeah that makes sense and um, obviously I mean so she got one of her servants to like sit down and pretend to be a seat and she just <gasps> sat down so that was what she did although interestingly some historical accounts do say that she killed the servant at the end so again, again. <laughs> <laughs> don't fuck with this woman definitely
2: not definitely not <laughs> You wonder, one moment you receive, the next thing you're dead. Do you know what I mean? So. <laughs> yeah, it's,
1: it's, <laughs> it's, oh, it's so different when you find characters like this in history because you're like, oh, my God, she is a medieval black queen from Africa who is blocking the slave trade. And you're like, yeah, go on, go on. And then it's like, she also used her servants as a footstool and then killed them afterwards. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Take the rough with the smooth. But my definitely, God. Definitely, Oh, <laughs> Tell me a bit about the family that she came from.
2: What's her origin story? So really with her, her dad was really like, because he was um, king at the time and they were really close, had a really good relationship. But then when he passed away, her brother took the throne. So it was a really interesting family dynamic between the two of them. Because actually I think her brother, there's a sense of jealousy there in terms of like Mm. how close she was with the dad. And so, yeah. And I think there's an element of
3: like, her brother killed
2: the son killed her son
3: oh yeah according to the accounts because he was scared that the son would grow up and sort of try and take over Mm. but yeah because her brother wasn't very diplomatic didn't really have her brains didn't really know how to stop like slave raids and things like that so she was often sent to mediate between the portuguese but yeah it was (laughs) it was a bit of a twisted family dynamic So when the father died, did the throne go to her or to the brother? So initially it went to her brother, but he was quite an oppressive ruler over his land. So he lost the support of his people and eventually his family as well. So some rumours also say that he killed his father because he wanted to take the throne for himself. So there is also that element as well. It's tough at the top, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Her brother
2: wasn't ready for it or capable to take on that position be it if the father died or like you know killed the father whatever because and I also think there was definitely a strong sense of jealousy because the way in which the dad was raising in Zynga it wasn't to be your typical kind of like queen and princess and being kind of pretty Mm. and all of that it was very much he was training her to be strong and be a warrior and I think That definitely played a role in the brother being like, okay, if I don't take this now, then I don't know what's going to
1: happen. Yeah, that's interesting. So she wasn't being raised in a kind of be a good girl, do some embroidery.
3: (laughs) No, it was like (laughs) the dad was like, I'm going to teach you how to fight. You know, the dad actually kind of taught her. Wow. She grew up learning those warrior skills. And even as she entered her 60s, she was still leading her people into battle so oh, i love this woman yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. <gasps> if this isn't made into a film i don't know like
1: how is it not a film
3: yeah who would you want to play her in the film Ooh, someone like latisha wright from black panther mm-hmm. oh that, that's a good one see yeah, for me because did. i yeah. just
2: love her incredibly it has to be viola davis she's just amazing in everything just true? everything i just I, every time i see her in anything i'm just like oh my i want to be
1: <laughs> she would do that she would bring you to tears with that scene of sitting on a servant and then killing them afterwards <laughs> <laughs> so she's been schooled in like diplomacy and languages presumably and military tactics which is impressive
3: mm.
1: mm-hmm. what was her father's relationship with the portuguese i'm trying to get a sense of, like what was going on with the slave trade at the
3: time at the time, it's a bit of a complicated sort of mm. history within enslavement because even though some of these ancient African empires did agree to sell these people, I don't think it was anticipated the the depth of the situation and that for generations, this is what, you know, they would have been enslaved for many, many generations yeah. to come. But at the time the king was accepting limited trading within the Portuguese. Okay. But then the Portuguese were continuing to push further and further mm. in. So this kind of leads to the breaking up of and the weakening of empires, which kind of gave way to the way that the continent is today. Because I have heard this argument, and it's a stupid argument,
1: but it's an argument put forward by, well, racist dickheads. But there's always somebody who tries to say Africa sold people to enslavement. And that is, it's partially true, but it's certainly not the whole truth, which is another reason why stories like Zingers is really powerful, because it shows... There's resistance that it wasn't what people think it was and that it's just far, far, far more complex. I think that's really important what you're saying there is there was slavery. There was slavery all over the world. Many different people were enslaved, but they didn't realize what the scale of of what this was of what was actually going
3: on. Yeah, often people would be put into enslavement for the purposes of repaying loans or, you know, that kind oh, of thing, okay. or seven years and they'd be released. It w- it wasn't a case that someone would then be inherited, would then be because they were born or breeded for the purposes of more, life, of like how they did in, in within the British colonies and, and the Americas. But yeah, that's just very different to the scale of the enslavement that we saw even just within the continent as well. So do you get
1: a sort of a sense that, Zing, or maybe even her father as well, they started to resist this and when that happened?
2: Yes. Yeah, they were definitely yes. resisting. And I think that's the wonderful thing, and I love talking about her, is because, like you said, people always think that a lot of kind of African nations would just kind of like, wait and be like, OK, feel free, take our land. Like, it wasn't that. There was, <laughs> There was huge resistance, and actually this whole elements around kind of colonizing African nations started out way back when, you know, it was Mm. ongoing, kind of like erosion of cultures and it kept you know we're talking about the 1500s here the berlin conference happened in 84 85 that is such a massive like these countries are kind of really coming in and kept going and going at it and Mm. you can imagine there comes a point where where does it go from there so it's definitely yeah for me it's really important to just highlight that that there were there was resistance right from the beginning
3: Mm -hmm.
1: Myself, Astrid and Chinny will be back after a short break.
0: planes, spacesuits, condoms, coffee, plastic surgery, warships. Over on the patented podcast by History Hit, we bring you the fascinating stories of history's most impactful inventions and the people who claim these ideas as their own. We uncover exceptional stories behind everyday objects.
2: We manage to put two men on the moon before we put wheels on suitcases.
0: Unpack invention myths. So the prince's widow immediately becomes certain. Thomas Edison stole her husband's invention and her husband disappeared around the same time, can only have been eliminated by Thomas Edison, who at the time is arguably the most famous person in the West. And look backwards to understand technologies that are still in progress. You know, when people turn around to me and say, oh, why would you want to live forever? Life's rubbish. I just think that's a bit sad. I think it's a worthwhile thing to do. And the thing that really makes it worthwhile is the fact that you could make it go on forever. So subscribe to Patented from History Hit on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts to catch new episodes every Wednesday and Sunday. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile.
1: And it's amazing that it was this woman. And I'm sure there were others as well. So tell me a little bit. So she, she bumps off her brother. The father's gone. Her son has gone. It's all sounding a bit Game of Thronesy, isn't it? Which kind of royal history tends to be wherever you are. So she's in power. And she's in power for like 30 years, isn't she?
3: Yeah. So she comes to power. And again, some accounts say that she either her brother died because it was under suspicious circumstances so again uh-huh. either yeah <laughs> some say it could have been him actually like taking his life others say that it could have been in Zynga that actually poisoned him so
0: mm.
3: i don't know i mean she killed a servant so i wouldn't put it past her yeah but. <laughs> and i'm also saying like
2: your brother killed your son you're gonna be yes. looking for some sort yes. you revenge. know Sorry. some sort of revenge
1: that's a score <laughs> to settle, isn't
3: it? Yes.
2: Yeah.
1: They're not comfy family evenings round <laughs> God almighty. So yeah. what was she like as a ruler then? Because it is tough at the top and you've got to have a certain set of skills. I would be appalling at it because I'm too, I'm quite weak and will give a lot of ground to people because I'm a terrible people pleaser. I'd be an awful queen. What was she like as a queen? I was going to say, she was really involved in terms of, she wasn't one of those
2: leaders who was kind of like, right giving you orders going here that sort of thing she was very much involved in those guerrilla wars and stuff like that so i think that was very much her leadership style and sense that you get from her because also she got trained so you're going to want to use it you know
3: yeah. so she's right there in the thick of the action yeah definitely definitely she was very shrewd and she kind of knew the europeans were sort of trying to come at her territory but she played them against each other so the Portuguese were going on with the war and then also formed an alliance with the Dutch to kind of, because the Dutch want what the Portuguese want, so then she becomes friends with the Dutch to kind of team up with them and stop the Portuguese. She also uses her kingdom as a sanctuary for runaway people who had been captured to be taken oh. off to be enslaved, so she creates a sanctuary for them. Oh my goodness. So yeah, she kind of exploits different rivalries to get what she needs and what she wants, basically.
1: Wow. And was she married? Did she have a family? Did she have any other children apart from the son that was bumped off? Do we know? Not clear actually whether she had any. She went on to have more children. Yeah.
3: No, it's not clear. No, there isn't a record, but although you never know, there probably is something <laughs> if you dig and dig and dig. But yeah, as far as we know, there wasn't anything else. But she did live to quite an old age. So living at 82 back in those times <laughs> is already <But> an achievement.
1: <laughs> 82 and leading a battle. That's So what happened then with the Dutch and the Portuguese in the end? Because I think as well what's kind of blowing my mind is I don't understand politics today in the country that I live in. And this is a woman who, she's dealing with foreign powers that are invading and she understands them well enough and can speak their language to kind of play them off against one another. What was the outcome of it in the end? Like, did the Portuguese fuck off
3: and sort of, did (laughs) did she win? (laughs) So she managed to, like, stave them off. But unfortunately, I think this only really worked when she was alive. Yeah. So after her death, her kingdom, Mataba, went through a civil war. So then, unfortunately, this left them vulnerable to Portuguese expansion. Right. But while she was there, it was, she was able to stave them off at least for 30 years.
1: Yeah. God, oh my. And do you know if she was, this might be a difficult one, do you know if she was well-liked? Was she, like, a popular ruler? Not with the Portuguese, Dutch obviously, <laughs> yeah. but, but, like, with her own people. I don't know. Definitely don't know. compared
3: to her brother, right? Yeah,
1: definitely. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. She's protecting. And the way that she's recognised within Angolan history is that she's remembered as the mother of Angola, the fighter of negotiators, protector of her people. So wow. they recognise her now. And I'm sure that at the time the people would have also done the same just because of the legacy that she has. Mm. And the fact that even within Angolan society, the women are socially independent and are often represented in army, police force, and the government. So, yeah, she's regarded highly as a symbol. I think there is a statue there as well, actually, in Angola.
2: Yeah, there is. Yeah, yeah. I think it was in 2002 that they um, yes. unveiled a statue of her to celebrate the country's kind of 27th year of independence and stuff. So, yeah, she's
3: definitely highly regarded in the country. Wow. And um, what do you think is her legacy? Ooh, I think it just kind of shows that she's breaking breaking what society thinks that a medieval woman should be, mm. Mm. particularly a black medieval woman, although we don't even... This is like one of the first stories I've even heard of, black medieval women, right? But it just kind of shows what... that She's kind of breaking those boundaries, breaking the mould and showing that actually there was a lot of individualism, a lot of really interesting people living in the continent at the time and just doing really cool stuff. And
1: in your research, have you found other warrior queens? Because when you kind of looking at the in sort of Western history, is there were warrior queens, but they were very much sort of anomalies really, because women were kind of socialized to be a bit more docile and, you know, domesticated. But in sort of countries like Angola, was you sort of you said there that women were sort of more equal and had a more active role is that so did you find this kind of across other areas of your research I think there were like in different sorts of ways so maybe not from like a queen perspective
2: but there were also women because obviously in some of these countries they were patriarchal societies but then you have things like in Egypt Doria Shafiq did incredible things in that like there Kenya and Wangari Matai Do you see what it, so it was all there's so many stories of these wonderful women if you either kind of who broke the mould within the countries that they were in. And it's just kind of amplifying those voices and their stories.
1: And as historians, how do you go about researching this? Because the documents that exist about Nzinga, are they kind of primary evidence? Are they people writing about her? Are they white people writing about her? Like, where does the story exist? Where can you find it?
3: Interestingly, there's a lot of books that are aimed at younger children written by Africans now around these type of characters within African history. Oh, that's amazing. Which is really good. Something that I hadn't come across before when I was growing up, I hadn't come across these kind of stories. And then there are, you know, the papers as well that have been written about her, the different sort of, some people are passionate bloggers as well, because it's quite a bit of a niche Topic. Sometimes getting some stories, so for example, there was a story about a group of women collectively in um, Cote d'Ivoire and they were marching, basically protesting against the colonial government and the way that they were treating people in the prisons. And that was within an area called Grand Bassam. And it was a real like movement of these women that were protesting on the streets. And I had to use like Google Translate because it was all this French, it was like a French document. (laughs) So the fact that they just don't it's not really that accessible you really have to no. like dig and use google translate and all this kind of stuff
2: and i think especially <laughs> it's, when it's a country that you're looking at where english wasn't kind of the primary language so it tends yeah, to be a lot harder then to be able to dig deeper and kind of have a look and
1: see what's there Mm. i think one of the well there's lots that's interesting about her but reading the accounts of the western people that were clearly very frightened of her i think that's kind of testament to how scary she must have been to them you know i don't know if she had a harem but the fact that they kind of have to sort of say that she does and just how wild that is and, and that they make that point that like in her harem all the men are dressed as women and it's just this kind of like yeah but were they or is that just that she sort of emasculates Yes. makes them feel like that you know
3: or is it that she defeated you and you want to make her sound like wow she was massive
1: <laughs> exactly <laughs> oh so in your book that you're writing it's a continent which is sounds absolutely fascinating and you said right at the beginning is that you find sort of content and you tell stories from those places mm-hmm. Could you share your favourite stories from these continents?
3: I know it's like asking you to pick a favourite child, isn't it? Ooh, there are just so many. I really, hmm. One of the ones that we found quite interesting, and Astrid might also chip in here as well, is the Uganda chapter, where we really looked at, so the current dictator in Uganda, Museveni, it has really strict anti-LGBTQ laws, and he has deemed it as, it's not, Ugandan, it's not African. But actually, prior to colonisation, one of the kings was quite open in his and quite fluid within his sexuality. So that was really? something that, yeah, we'd never... We'd never... <laughs> oh,
2: who
1: was that? What was his name? He was called King Wanga Second. All right, so what do we know about the Second then? Why do we think he's gay? Because that, obviously, that'll start an argument amongst historians where someone will go, actually, I think they might just be friends. <laughs> it's not friends. You don't do that to your friends. Uh, but what's, what's the evidence that he was gay? So
2: during his kind of reign, he had pages and... Pages were male. And so there are different interpretations in terms of his relationship with them. So at the time, kind of Christianity was coming through, and the pages started to, because he kind of presented himself as this kind of godlike figure. But then when religion came through into the country, they began to see kind of hearing about Jesus and the likes. And so they were like, no, that's our God. And within Christianity, at the time, of see things like homosexuality, you know, that is a sin. And so it was seen, he then became very much jealous of that, that they would no longer want to be in a relationship with him, you know, sleep with him and all of that. And so it's super interesting to see, because actually... That whole idea of same-sex relationships and that being a sin was brought in by Europeans bringing in the faith. So it's interesting, but it's how it's interpreted today by different historians is really interesting because some are like, mm. during that time, some of the, the way in which we see kind of like gender today was very different back then. It was very much, very fluid in a sense. Mm. And so there weren't these strict sort of like, how people identify. And so for me, I just love that idea that, you know, we talk about kind of gender fluidity and that sort of thing today much more openly and stuff. But actually, that was going
3: all the way, way back when. All so yeah,
2: King Vanga's wow. the second story. It's an interesting, it's definitely a spicy one. Yeah, that
3: was during the 1800s as well. So at the time, I guess it kind of puts you at odds with victorian britain you know and you can just see the difference
1: there was europe and it was sort of a lot of britain exporting their colonial views and you do see this a lot is they have to start telling people why what they're doing is wrong and then there's a shift and it mm. yeah they did that all throughout africa and then mm. so that's actually wrong and then oh it's very depressed but i love that there was a gay king i think that that is especially as you say against a kind of backdrop of very anti lgbtq mm. plus so he's a legend. Maybe he killed his servants. I'm not sure. but He did did
3: kill the. Oh, he did. Still. He did kill the. He killed. He did, when he they killed no longer yeah. wanted to sleep with him, he did. Yeah. That's really bad. Oh, okay, I just feel everything right, okay. is so much more amplified in, like, in history. Everyone just seems <sighs> to kill people. It's just. I mean,
1: he, he is the king, I suppose. I mean,
3: you know? yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. It's his he, judgment, isn't oh.
1: it? <laughs> And what about you, Astrid? What's your favourite, one of your favourite stories? I'm torn between
2: two, but it's a similar theme. So mine will be Western Sahara and the Chagos Islands. So mm. we always talk about, like, colonisation be over and, you know, African nations being free and stuff. But actually, there are these, still these territories within the continent that are still owned. So, for example, Britain still has an African colony, so the Chagos Islands. And very few, honestly, this was which should be Mauritius. <laughs> one of the most surprising things ever, like, discover kind of during our research process, that these islands—it's gone all the way through to the courts and stuff—and Britain's like, no, we're not giving it, giving, giving it back at all. And so you know, you've got Chagossians fighting for decades; they've been fighting to regain ownership and go back to the Chagos Islands, but. Yeah, it's kind of at this standstill, even though everybody's aware that actually the way in which Britain, because what happened was it was coming through kind of decolonization, was coming sweeping through the continent. And Britain was told, you know, you gotta gotta, gotta get give it, it back. back. Give it back. Give it, it back. back. Yeah. But obviously, special relationships with the US, he wanted to build a military base there. So Britain mm-hmm. was like, okay. We won't give it back, actually. There are things that we need these islands for. literally came up with excuses after excuses, and it's literally just been that, and the Chgosins have taken them to
3: court. and we're still even to this day, it's still under Britain. I would just It's really shocking. So it was part of Mauritius and then it was supposed to be handed over to mauritius according to the decolonization process but yeah as astrid said the u.s wanted to build a military base so britain sold it to them and expelled the people um shipped them off to the seychelles and i mean even though they went to the seychelles which sounds like a lovely destination it was actually really horrible conditions and that was like the late 60s early 70s oh god
1: that's really recent history isn't it yeah yeah definitely yeah Oh, yeah, that's a shocking fact. That's a, a knowledge bomb right there. Yeah, it's like, obviously, obviously, Yeah.
2: every time, because, you know, recently there's been some kind of movement around the news with the was, of science. Yeah. But every time I just hear about that, I'm like, how in this day and age, when we talk about African nations being free, you've got this community and these beautiful islands still owned by Britain when it goes against the courts. It was taken to the courts and they were like, Britain, this was it's an illegal occupation it was described as an illegal occupation so i'm always what i'm like okay so are we we're justifying an illegal occupation right here but to be honest with the whole current situation with rwanda i'm literally i feel like we have no we
1: we don't care about legalities anymore (laughs) Clearly not. Clearly not. And we could really do with another Queen Nazinga, either here or there, to go, fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, guys, you've been so amazing to talk to. If people want to find out more about you and about the work that you're doing, where should they look to find you? So you can find us on our website, itsacontinent.com. And
2: Tinia's amazing at doing the socials because I can't remember them. The socials.
3: Yeah, so we're on um, Instagram at itsacontinentpod and on Twitter at itsacontinent as well.
1: Oh, guys, you've been so much fun. Thank you so much for joining me today to tell me all about this amazing warrior woman and a gay king thrown in as (laughs) well. Why not? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Thanks, Kate. I hope that you've enjoyed joining us. Thank you so much to Astrid and Chinny. Go and look them up, how amazing are they? If you like what you've heard, please don't forget to like, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We've got so much exciting stuff coming up. And if you were feeling particularly generous and overwhelmed and inspired by what you've heard today, you can actually vote for Betwixt the Sheets, the British Podcast Award, Listener's Choice Awards. You can vote for us if you Google search British Podcast Awards and then you can search for Betwixt the Sheets in the Listener's Choice and you can give us a vote and that would just be absolutely marvellous and wonderful. And thank you so much. Join me again betwixt the sheets, the history of sex scandal in society, a podcast by History Hit.
0: Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365day returns on your next order. That's quince.com/upgrade.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of Betwixt the Sheets. Please follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and you'll be doing us a big favor. Don't forget, you can also listen to all these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com forward slash subscribe. As a special gift, you can get your first three months for just £1 a month when you use the code BETWIXT at checkout.